I mean, knowing where you're going is super, super important. Um, another exercise I do with all my clients is a thing called ideal day. I'm like, take a random Tuesday from five years from now. If everything were to go right in your life and you were to have everything that you absolutely want, what does that Tuesday look like? And I have them write it out from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to bed with as much detail as possible. What art is on the walls? What do you eat for breakfast? Who do you see that day? How much do you work? Everything else like that, because it gives you a place to aim. Dave Moss is a creative business coach. He helps photographers leverage their opportunities and grow their businesses. This conversation was recorded during a different time back in February 2020 at WPPI. So what initially drew you into photography? Um, I think more than anything, it was uh, National Geographic. Um, my dad was a subscriber and had pretty much every issue from, I think, the late 60s until like the time I was a teenager so we had just shelves and shelves and shelves of yellow National Geographics and I just looked through them all and thought oh, that'd be really really cool to be able to go to these places and take photos like that Yeah. and then I wanted to go into art school and take photography and my dad talked me out of it and said you should go get an engineering job instead have a career, make some money, you're not going to make money as a photographer. Yeah, be safe and secure. <laughs> yeah and so I did that, but I still shot on the side and did street stuff and portraiture and stuff. And then yeah. got asked to shoot a wedding for a friend for, for a low price and did that. And then it just sort of picked up. And then I met my now wife, Abby, and she nice. was sort of in the same situation. And we just sort of fell into business together. Yeah. Yeah. But then when did you decide to kind of move away from like shooting and start focusing on the things that you're doing now? Um, I don't know if I ever know if it was like a conscious decision. When I found out about life coaching and started down that path, just coaching in general, it was more just to figure out who I was. Um, something like the people that I spent time with in the photography industry or took workshops from, you know, like the Chrismans or Davina and Daniel mm -hmm. or, you know, our friends Lanny and Erica, these were people who love photography. They shoot really, really well. They often have cameras on them. They are constantly thinking in that way. And I never thought in that way. I never thought as a photographer. And so Abby kept challenging me to find the thing that I was that passionate about. Okay. And then I fell into my life coach program. And then after that, I started, I had to have a hundred hours of um, free coaching in order to get my certification. And so I just had tons and tons and tons of conversations. And Abby's like, you've never been happier doing this. And so a year ago in 2019, in January, I hired my own coach, yeah. um, who was a business coach for coaches. And, okay. uh, and I basically said, what do I do? How do I do this? And now it's like a, it's a year later and it's completely nice. blown up. And we've like, we made the decision last week to not take in any, any more weddings for this year and possibly not take in any more for wow. 2021 just because it is growing to such a, at such a speed that we think it would be detrimental to this part of the business to keep shooting yeah. weddings. And it's been 11 years. Like, I feel like we're ready for a change. So, yeah. yeah. Does it feel weird moving away from weddings? Super weird. Yeah, I still like shooting weddings. Um, I will probably continue to, if nothing else, second shoot for friends or, or do things like that. Um, all my contacts, all my clients, like most people are in this world. So I don't think it's going to be something that I completely ever move away from. Yeah. 
I'll just do it in a different capacity. But what is it about coaching that lights you up that way? Um, are you aware of Enneagram? I've, this is the third time I've heard about it in <laughs> yeah. like two days. Um, I randomly pulled out the number four. I was like, I think I'm a four. And somebody was like, you might actually be a four. <laughs> Um, yeah, so go on. Fair enough. Stand. So I'm, I'm a two. Okay. I'm a helper. And that's who I've been my entire life. I've always been the person who helps other people. Mm-hmm. I was the friend in high school when people were having problems, they'd call me up and we'd go to Denny's late at night and talk it out. I was there for my sisters in that capacity. Like all of these, I've always been that person. Yeah. You know, at one point in time, before I even started coaching, a friend of mine's like, you need to buy the domain helpful guy on the internet because that's basically what you are. Like, he's like, you're always on Facebook, but you're not scrolling. You're like actively searching out problems you can solve. Yeah. And so that's just, it's just how I'm wired. And so when I started doing it in an official capacity, it just like that puzzle piece just fit so easily. I, so I've known you since Austin. I've, you know, been getting, seeing you pop up on Facebook and, Something that I, I really appreciate about you is just that. It's like everything that I see get posted from you, it's you're like asking very insightful questions or like providing good information and value to people. Like it seems like in a lot of ways that's kind of a rare thing on social media. It's like everybody has these incredible publishing platforms and they use it to like here's my spaghetti <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely i was like that for a lot of years i mean i fell down the facebook rabbit hole a few times yeah. in my life but especially since i finished my coaching program in 2018 i uh i just felt it was like it's like my duty to put good stuff out there and to challenge people and to help people even more so. So it's like, I can still have fun and go and have a beer with you and not have to be serious. But on the same hand, I just like, I have very little patience for surface talk or small talk. I'm like, we're, we are all really, really complex and interesting people and we're all yearning to be heard and to be seen. So if you can do that for people, it can be be really awesome. And, like, what would be your advice or, like, how are you able to push past that small talk and, like, get into the actual meaningful conversations? Ask really, really good questions and be interested in the answers. So, like, one of my usual openers is you, know, you meet somebody for the first time and one of the first questions you always get asked is, oh, what do you do? It's and a shitty question. Yeah, it's just a, such a shitty question. So, I always ask people, I say, what are you passionate about? And knee-jerk answer almost always the first thing they'll say is their job they're like oh you know this is what i do this is and i'm like no no no. like what are you passionate about like are you into like crazy into alpine skiing or do you go nuts and travel the world watching formula one races like what drives yeah. you like what's super passionate that doesn't have to be a side hustle or your job or whatever but like and that usually leads to an interesting answer which then leads to more interesting questions and I think it's, like, that part of you actually need to be interested because there's, like, yeah, you can give people, like, tactics, but if you're not actually interested in humans and, like, it's yeah. not going to work and you're just going to stay at that surface level. Yeah. You have to be interested in people and you have to be 
prepared for an answer that might make you uncomfortable and to just lean into it. Yeah. Because everybody's got different opinions and feelings about all sorts of things. You know, like I've, I found out some really interesting things about, you know, friends' political leanings or, or things like that by asking questions. And I don't think any less of them as people. They're just, that's just who they are. And so you just lean into it and try to understand why they feel that way. And Yeah, and it, I think it's that aspect of like, yeah, like what is the why and i think you can like you can have a debate on somebody's opinions but like the reasons why they believe it you can't necessarily like you can't necessarily debate somebody's experience that has yeah like led them there yeah because you're trying to minimize their life experience if you're just like well that's not true because this well they're saying well i literally lived through this and that's the why i feel the way that Mm -hmm. it is it may not be statistically true, but it is 100% true for them. Like, our perception is our reality. So if they've gone through that, then that's true and real to them. And yeah. so, but I think, but if you if you come into a conversation like that with antagonism, they're going to dig their feet even more into that ideology. Whereas if you come with a, a feeling of compassion and understanding and just openness, then maybe you might be able to change your mind and maybe they changed like I've had my mind changed from having conversations yeah. with people where they're like they're just firmly believing in something and we talk it through and I just go, oh, you know, I've never thought of it that way. What's like the biggest recent shift like that where somebody's brought up a point and it's like really has shifted like the way that you viewed something? Um it would definitely be around spirituality. So my wife is very, very spiritual. (laughs) She has done shamanism training and she's done energy work training. Like she's, she lives a very spiritual life and I've always been the antithesis of that. Like, okay. We, my family stopped going to church when I was like four because my sisters would always fight after church. My parents are like, we don't even care anyway. So why are we even doing this? And, you know, I had my, my militant atheist phase in my 20s and, and, and stuff like that. And, and I've just, I just never gave a shit about it. Yeah. Um, but in having a lot of conversations with, with Abigail, I have changed my perspective on it into the idea that spirituality is an entirely personal thing. I was instantly tying spirituality to religion, which, and they're very, very different things. And it's like, I know that they're very different things, but inside myself they were still tied yeah and it was so through conversations with her i was able to untie that knot and have them be in two very very different camps yeah yeah and i think like if you've been brought up through the church it's like really hard to like separate yeah the two yeah even not i mean just societally religion is spirituality to most people Mm -hmm. because it's the most predominant form of spirituality out there yeah yeah so what was the moment when you like really decided to get into like the coaching and like you found the program so we went for dinner um with two friends of ours and um they were recently married and we hadn't met one of them before we'd met one in the past through photography and we're sitting down with dinner with them and 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 um Catherine said oh you know I'm a life coach because I asked her you know, what are you passionate about? And she's helping people. Oh, how do you do that? Oh, I'm a life coach. What the heck's a life coach? Like I'd heard the term, but yeah. to hear it from somebody who's actually doing it was a very different experience. And so she told me about like her training that she went through um, with the Martha Beck Institute and all the rest of this and how she now works predominantly with women executives and, and helps them out. And she does like um, 
this, this stuff called equus training, which is like horse training to help because horses apparently are really good at bringing out people's emotions and like all these different things. And I'm like, man, that seems like a really cool job. Yeah. And then promptly forgot about it after the dinner. And then three weeks later, Abby and I went to um, Kelowna in, in BC to do an engagement session for a couple. They were moving to Italy, had just sold their house. Um, it was their second marriage. And they were moving to Italy because they had both opened up shop as life coaches. And it didn't matter where they lived in the world because they did it all on Internet. And I'm like, okay, this is twice in a month that this life coach thing has come up. So after we finished that shoot, I went back to the hotel and just started like researching like crazy because that's my personality type. Yeah. I have to read as much about it. And then eventually got back to, oh, what was that class Catherine, Catherine talked about? I was the Martha Beck thing. I looked it up and it started in a week. And it was, they do it like once a year. It's a nine-month program. Started a week from there. And it was a pretty substantial um, fee to take this course. And so I'm like, well, I guess I'll just wait till next year. You know, I'll see if this is the right thing. And Abby's just like, nah, you got to do it now. She's like, clearly this is lit a fire under your ass. You want to do it. We have the savings, do it. And so I signed up and then a week later the course started and yeah. went through like nine months of rapid transformation. So I got some more questions, but I just need to, uh, pause for a moment and like shout out to Abby <laughs> and also just like, yeah, good, good loving partners that are like able to hold you to account like that and to like see the things in you that, yeah, you miss. Also, sh shout out to my partner, Lindsay. <laughs> Great, yes. appreciated. Yes. Um, Having a partner like that is unbelievable. I, I've never been with somebody like Abby. So when she challenges me and pushes me to do the things, like she's always the first one to say, if it feels uncomfortable, move towards it. Like there's mm -hmm. a reason. And that was not my life. I was like, mm, comfort. I'm all about comfort. <laughs> but yeah, I've come out the other side of that. Thanks. Yeah. Sarah. Yeah. And there's, it's really easy to default into comfort, but it's like anything like, yeah, like discomfort is how you grow and develop and move forward. So heading into the program, what, like, was there some big, shifts around your ideas towards life coaching, like from going from like not knowing anything about it to seeing like the inner workings and like what it was about? Yes, specifically because of the program. So I'm a very left-brained, logical kind of person. And uh, so I wanted to find a program that was opposite of that, that was very emotional, very feeling overthinking. And that's exactly what um, we find our coach training is all about. Um, there was 168 people in our cohort and four of them were men and two of the men dropped out by the end of the class. Like it was a very, very feminine course, mm. um, which I needed because that was definitely like the lack that I had, you know, I could, I could problem solve my way through anything. I was an engineer for 11 years. That's what I did. Like I fixed problems, but feeling things and being intuitive in that way, I knew I was wired that way, but I never opened myself up to it. And so through that, I learned so much about what life coaching was and what like we did cognitive behavioral therapy training and like all of these different things that was all about how our thoughts are tied to our feelings and our feelings are tied to our actions and how that's like just a constant cycle that's going on in us. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it's so easy to get caught in that loop. And life coaching is a lot of the time just breaking that loop and yeah. making somebody think or see the see their stories in a different way. Yeah, like shifting the yeah your 
narrative like around something and but now because i'm also from alberta <laughs> also a dude from alberta um so what was that process like although it sounds like that has always been an aspect of you but like opening yourself up to more of that like emotional aspect because i think Yeah, I think growing up in Alberta sometimes, like, that's not necessarily encouraged. And there's that kind of, like, uh, like Alberta tough, stoic dude thing. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I also had a, like, I, don't get me, don't take this any any wrong way. I love my father. But he was not a very emotionally available person. Like, I could count on one hand the number of times that my dad and I have hugged. And three of those were on my wedding day. <laughs> He'll hug women, no problem. But like just there was there was no male-to-male emotion. And as I was going through this course, I realized that I had very little male-to-male emotion in my life. But the the friends that I like to spend the most time with, I'm like, oh, they actually show a lot of feminine traits because they're very emotionally available. Like I have a friend who every time he... Like we leave, if we go for coffee or go for a beer, he comes to my house. Every time he leaves, he like stops and looks back and says, I love you. And I was like, always really thrown off by that. Cause that was not the way Alberta is in a lot of ways yeah. or my childhood was, but I realized how healthy that was after I started down this path and how it's like, it feels really nice to have your friend tell you that they love you. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like that's not shameful or silly or embarrassing. It's like, that's the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like, it can just be, like, such, like, an interesting or, like, difficult process of, like, really tapping into that stuff, and I guess, like, moving away from, I guess, some, like, toxic masculinity traits that kind of get, like, embedded in you, and, yeah like not to default back to them and like when it starts creeping back and be like oh it's so easy it's so easy to default back to that (laughs) so easy to be like it's it's a practice to live in an emotionally available sort of way yeah but also not just like take on everybody's shit all the time like it's a very very fine line because a lot of people who are very emotional you know become very empathetic and then they take on everybody else's crap and it it can become overwhelming so so how do you how do you deal with that? Like since like being a life coach and offering a lot of support for people and obviously like being there for people in that regard, like how do you allow yourself to step away from that and to make sure you're giving the self care that you need so that you're able to do your job? Yeah. I mean, self care is definitely the biggest part of it. Like meditation, exercise, good eating, all of those things. And then I also have like, I have a personal ritual around every call where it's like five minutes before every call. I always make a cup of mint tea and then I meditate for five minutes just before I go on the call. And then I go, but the, the, the intention of the meditation is always to just be fully, fully present with someone, but to realize that their problems are their problems and not mine. Cause it can be really easy. Like it can be emotionally exhausting if I have three calls in a day and each call is like really deep. I'm tired by the end of it, but I don't take their stuff on. Um, The challenge comes from when you know your clients 
outside of the client coach relationship, it's like knowing when to put that hat on and when to just be a friend. Mm. Like I have to actively ask my friends now, like we'll go for a coffee or something like that and they'll bring something up and I just have to ask. I'm like, do you want me to be your friend right now and just listen? Or do you want me to be your coach and challenge you on this? And you know, if they say, you know, I just need a friend right now. I just need to listen. It's like, okay. So like that I've had to learn to actively like toggle it on and off almost. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, uh, my partner's, in school for like psych and like getting her PhD. So a lot of people in my life right now are like, you know, psychologists in training. Um, and yeah, like sometimes you just need a friend to talk, but then they start shifting and then you're like, no, just pump the fucking brakes for a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we can sort these problems out later, but like right now I just need a vent. Yeah. But yeah. When I first started, it was not like that. Like, I was trying to bulldoze everybody. It's like, oh, I know how to fix that problem. Let's do this. Or like, I didn't realize, like I, I had just gotten so excited about the process yeah. of being able to help people that I realized, I forgot that like some people just need you to shut up and listen and they just need you to be a friend. They don't want, maybe they want that problem solved, but they don't want that problem solved right now in this coffee shop. Like you know, they, <laughs> they might want to do that at a different time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's true. So then, are is the majority of your clients like photographers? Is that kind of what you're focusing in on? It's not a focus. It just happened to be my network yeah. from from being a photographer for the last eleven years. Like most of the people that I know are photographers. I've got some clients who aren't photographers, um, but they were referred by photographers. But yeah, I I mean. I definitely think that my business caters mostly to creative entrepreneurs, you know, whether they would be an illustrator or a graphic designer or a photographer or a DJ or anything like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the problems that face these people are similar, maybe not so much the life problems, but the business problems. And, you know, as my business coach said, she's like, I think your magic is going to be your life coaching, but more people are going to be inclined to buy business coaching because they can write it off and it will help them in their business. So mix the two together, let people know that when they hire you, it's not just like, here, we're gonna work on marketing and SEO, but we're gonna work on the things that are holding you back or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's been really interesting in that way. And do you find any like themes or consistencies like amongst that group of people? Like, is there similar struggles? There's definitely similar struggles and I mean, and, I, I think it's pretty obvious to say things like, you know, low self-worth or lack of confidence or imposter syndrome. Like those are things I struggle a lot. A lot of creative people struggle with. Um, and so I see those come up, but often the causes are what's are, what are different. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe somebody is struggling to <clears throat> raise their prices or charge what they're worth. That usually comes from somewhere, you know, it usually comes from the way that their parents dealt with money when they were a kid or, a spouse deals with money. Like there's usually some sort of root there around money and worth. And then that ties into self-worth and then that ties into how you can charge. And so it's a matter of like rewinding the tape to find out where that came from and then creating a new narrative so that they can move forward believing something different. So can you like fix the problem without addressing 
like the cause? Like, do you really drill into it and find out like where that's coming from? I do my best to drill into it and find out where it's coming from. Yeah. I mean, not everybody is entirely open to get there. Um, and that's mostly just, that was early days. Me just not being more upfront about what the process is going to be like. Um, I find most, uh, all the clients that I have now are are pretty open and, and able to go to those places. Because without addressing the root, you're never going to fix the problem. You might band-aid it, but that's going to creep back eventually. So yeah. you really have to get to, to the root of that. And like from my training, like that's where stuff like cognitive behavioral therapy comes really, really handy because that's exactly what it's for, is working your way through some sort of story and changing the way that you think about that and then you act on those thing, feelings and, and move forward. So with something like self-doubt or like, yeah, let's just do self-doubt like what would be your advice for somebody that's struggling with that well that was my biggest struggle for you know when i took my coach training program they said that everybody's going to have what they call a hell and back Um, it's the thing that you struggled with the most and if you can get through the other side you will tend to attract a lot of people who have who have gone through that sort of thing and be able to help them and i mean there's no one way to fix self-doubt but i mean realistically you know, if, if you were somebody that was struggling with that, I would, I would just start off by say, saying, tell me more about your self-doubt. Where is that coming from? And then going down through that story and asking them questions. Like um, there's this amazing woman named Byron Katie who created this set of tools that she calls the work, mm-hmm. where it's all about, like they've, they've had people do the work inside an MRI and they can actively see the synapses in the brain rewiring itself as they go through this, which is what cognitive behavioral therapy is supposed to be about. She's just like developed a very fast tool for this. And so a lot of it has to come down. It's, it's, it's about asking them if it's actually true what they're feeling and it can be, or can't be like, there's no right or wrong answer. Like if they say, you know, it's like, I, I don't think that I'm worth it. And I ask, Oh, is that true? They might say yes which is fine if that's what they really believe. But then we'll do exercises where we'll come up with the opposites of that, where it's like, I don't think that I'm worth that. One of the opposites would be, I am absolutely worth that. Or um, blanking now that I'm on the spot, but you come up with three reverses Mm -hmm. of that statement. And then you ask which one is true, the original statement, or which one feels more true, the original statement or one of these. And almost without fail, as you've gone through this exercise, the new statement will become true. And then you have to figure out some way to anchor that new statement in their life. And it, sometimes it's a, it's a phrase or it's a physical action. Like for me, whenever I feel myself doubt, um, I get a, like a physical sensation that I've called um, bees. It just feels like there's like a hive of bees in my head when that comes up. Like when I start panicking or having like intense imposter syndrome, I'm like, shit, everyone's going to find out I'm a fraud. I cannot be here. This is terrible. (laughs) That's what my head feels like. And it's like, now I know that like when I feel that feeling, that's the old story coming back because the new story is, no, I'm absolutely good at what I do. It's why I'm here. It's why these people have asked me to be on this stage or who have called me as a client or whatever. And so it becomes very, very easy to feel that. I mean, that's another thing that I work with all of my clients on is um, psychosomatic connection, like mind-body connection, because our bodies are really, really good lie detectors. And so when you can be tapped into physiological responses, because our body reacts to everything that we do, but it also reacts to our thoughts, sometimes faster than we actually realize we're having the thought. Um, 
not unlike that bee's feeling. It's literally just a rush of blood to my head, but it's telling me something. It's like, this is, this is awful. We don't want to do this. But so many, I find mostly North Americans don't live in their bodies. We're so cerebral that we're thinking all the time. And, you know, Abby would say that most people live up here, you know, like off to the sides of their head somewhere. They're not actually in their heads or in their bodies. And so constantly bringing people back in their bodies. Like I do a lot of with, with, especially with a lot of my coaching clients, um, we have a tool that I call body compass where it's like one of the first things that we work on. And then we'll be, I'll be, you know, we'll have this, the conversation about self doubt and I'll just ask them, it's like, how does that thought feel in your body? And they'll be like, you know, my stomach's in knots and my hands are sweaty. Like as I say this and I think this, these are the physiological reactions that I have. And then I'll ask, when else in your life have you felt these feelings? When you, you had your body feel this way? And that usually allows us to get back to where the root was because mm. we can trace it back to the, okay, this, oh yeah, but then there was this time before. And then, then, you know, and more often than not, it leads to, they were, you know, doing a school play as a kid and fell down and everyone laughed at them. And now they have no self-worth. They feel like they don't belong on that stage, something like that. Yeah. And so then we have to learn to rewire using the work and, and other things like that, but it's a process. This is like crazy how like something like that, where it's like really like ultimately an insignificant thing, how it can like, yeah, be the root of this. Yeah, which stops you from charging what you're worth as a photographer 30 years later because you fell on stage as a kid. But it just shows us how susceptible we are, especially in early years, to all of this programming. And I mean, it, it's more often than not true, but we believe it to be true at the time. And if perception is reality, then that will be true until you're told otherwise or you're able to tell yourself otherwise. And is there... Would you have any, like, tip if somebody was wanting to do, uh, like, a body compass scan themselves? I'm sure you could probably just Google body compass exercise. Um, a lot of it is just done, like, I mean, I can just walk you through it right now. It's pretty simple. So what I do with people is twofold, and this is the tool I learned in my, my coaching program. So it's always good to do in a safe space because one of the first things that you have to do is think back to one of the worst memories you've ever had in your life. Maybe not the worst, because sometimes that's really traumatic for people, but mm -hmm. a, a super negative moment. And then I get them to go into that state, close their eyes, think about it, breathe through it, and say, how did your body feel at that time? Like, what was, like, were your hands sweating? Was your heart beating? Was your chest compressing? Whatever. I don't, try not to lead them through it, but... Mm -hmm. um, give them as much time as they need and they'll, they'll write out a list or they'll say a list of symptoms and then I'll write it out. And then I have them rate that feeling on a scale of negative 10 to positive 10, negative 10 being the worst you've ever felt, zero being neutral and 10 being the best you've ever felt and then give it a name. So for me, my negative is a negative seven and it's bees in my head. Like that's a feeling I have a lot of times when I've had really, really negative things. And then we clear that usually very, very simply, but I just have them stand up and do jumping jacks for 30 seconds, just gets the blood freshening through the body. Then I get them to go to the best memory that they can possibly think of and do the same thing. How did that feel in your body? Where did it rate on the scale? And what would you call it? Because now you have your baselines. You have like the worst and the best feelings. So you can tap in, it's like, okay, is this more like 
like my my plus 10 is yosemite it's literally a tattoo i have of, yeah. of my dog on my arm it was from a day we hiked 27k through yosemite valley together like it was a perfect day so it's like i ask myself like okay if i'm going to go into something is it going to be it, like thinking about it like if i'm just thinking about coming to vegas for example is it more yosemite or is it more bees in my head and so I get people then give me three things on their to-do list, any three things, like you got to go grocery shopping, you got to buy some new luggage and you have to take your kid to daycare or something like that and sit and think, okay, I want you to think about doing that. How does your body react? Where is it on a scale of negative 10 to positive 10? And, and is there a way that you can change it? Like say it's a negative one. Me, I hate going clothes shopping. It's, Definitely a negative one on my yeah. scale. I, I can grocery shop to the cows come home, but I just don't like buying clothes. So I always ask myself, is there any way I can improve going clothes shopping? It's like, okay, yeah. If I bring my headphones and I listen to an audio book while I'm doing it, that makes it about, about a zero because I feel like I'm getting something out of it by having time to listen to this audio book. Is there any other way that I can improve it? Sure. I can go to this store because there's a really great coffee shop next door. And once I'm done buying my clothes, I'll treat myself to a coffee. Now it's a plus one. Like I can feel that in my body. Yeah. Like as I'm walking th myself through, like if I add this, like I can feel it being lighter and not as heavy and I'm not dreading it as much. And so it's what can, what can you do to, to change or, or even delegate the task? You know, there's sometimes where people are like, I just hate this. I'm like, does your husband hate it? No. Okay. Is there something you can trade with him where he does this and you do something else? Cause then neither of you are dreading doing that task. So, yeah, it's a lot of that. But I mean, that's essentially body compass calibration. And then it's just a matter of constantly checking in. So like I ask myself, anytime I get like offered an opportunity, I like stop and say like, how does this feel in my body? And if it feels negative, it's like, okay, I'm not going to say no right away because I'm not about knee jerk reactions, but it's going to give me a lot more pause and be a lot more critical about it. Whereas if an opportunity comes up and I'm like full on yes, then instantly I just go for it. Mm. Yeah, I like that because I think often we just don't like pause to reflect on it. And especially with like opportunities that come up, it's like often people just hop on everything. Um, and I'm starting to think that like opportunities are kind of like buses, like a lot of them come around. And if you're getting on the bus that's going in the wrong direction, then it's, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, knowing where you're going is super, super important. Um, another exercise I do with all my clients is a thing called ideal day. I'm like, take a random Tuesday from five years from now. If everything were to go right in your life and you were to have everything that you absolutely want, what does that Tuesday look like? And I have them write it out from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to bed with as much detail as possible. What art is on the walls? What do you eat for breakfast? Who do you see that day? How much do you work? Everything else like that, because it gives you a place to aim. You know, like for, for our ideal day, we live in a house on the west coast of Canada, right by the ocean, because my wife misses the ocean, near the forest, because I love walking my dog in the woods every day. I have three clients that I work with. It's super, super chill. We have friends over for dinner. We have a wine cellar where we have all of our, like, it's all of these things. And I, I can picture it so vividly in my head. And so, you know, if I, if I get a negative body compass reaction from something, I then ask myself, was well, it moving me closer or further away from that? Am I getting on the wrong bus, essentially? <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, if I do this thing, like coming to Vegas for me is a negative body compass because of the city of Vegas. 
but then I think about all the people that I can have conversations with and going on stage to, to talk about the things that I do. Like those are all moving me towards the ideal day. So it just makes decision making so much easier where it's like, okay, my body might be reacting negatively to it. So it makes me stop and think about it. But then what? Is it good? Is it bad? Mm-hmm. Also, you posted something like interesting around WPBI where you're like, I'm not going to go to that conference until I get invited to speak. And like, how does that feel? <laughs> it feels pretty good, to be honest. Like it was, it was, I was just basically calling a shot five years ago because Vegas wasn't my happy place, but all my friends came every year. And so there was like a definite FOMO every single year around this time when everybody started posting WPPI stuff and they're all hiking and Red Rock together and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, oh man, I definitely want to be there, but I don't want to go. And so, you know, I said to myself that I'm only going to go to WPPI if I can be a speaker. And then I did nothing about it for like four years. And then last year, my business coach, like we were having a conversation and this topic came up and she's like, well, you know, it's application season for WPPI right now. I was like, oh, she's like, so you have until tomorrow to apply. And now I have accountability. I have to do the damn thing. And then I got accepted and here we are. But yeah. How do you establish that accountability like as a creative or like a solo entrepreneur where like you don't necessarily always have somebody like a boss or a life coach like holding you to account um there's a couple different ways um i definitely recommend everybody take gretchen rubin's four tendencies quiz and if you can read her book um it's about the four different types of human motivation um there's you know everybody's got intrinsic or, or extrinsic motivations but everybody's wired in a very very different way so she has um, the upholder, which is both internally and externally motivated, they're just good at getting shit done, um, more often than not type A people. Um, there's the obliger, which is almost ex- almost always externally motivated. They don't do things for themselves, they do things for other people. So they're really, really good at doing things for deadlines or because a friend asked them to do it or, or so on and so forth. Um, there's the questioner, which is what I am, which I'm very intrinsically motivated. I won't necessarily do things for other people unless I think it has personal value. It's why I research everything a little too obsessively sometimes because I want to find if it's the right thing for me to do or not. And then there's the rebel, um, which my wife is, um, which is neither internally or externally motivated. And it's very, very interesting because you can never tell them to do something, but they often can't tell themselves to do things either. So they're, they're, they're tricky. But when you do the quiz or if you read the book, she also gives you ways of basically how to trick your accountability and trick your motivation into mm-hmm. getting stuff done, which is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, so people who hire me as a coach, I have them do that quiz because it helps me understand how I'm going to motivate them or how they need to motivate themselves. Um, beyond that, accountability groups are super, super popular or just having an accountability buddy, choosing another friend who's in the same career as you and saying, okay, let's sit down and talk about all the things that we want to do for our business this year. And then we're going to keep each other accountable. You know, whether you set deadlines or you just say like, I want to have this done by the end of the year, have a, have a call once a week where you're just like, Hey, how's it going? Are things working out? Are there, are there any roadblocks that are coming up that I might be able to help with? And then you do that for each other. And then it's very, very simple. 
I mean, a coach is definitely a big way to have an accountability buddy. <laughs> I was saying to you on the walk over here, it's like, I feel like it's like 60 to 70% of what I do is just keep people on task because they know, they know everything that they need to do in their business more often than not, but they're not doing it. So I'm happy to be there to kick them in the butt to get it done. That's awesome. Okay, so we've come out on our time for this portion of what we're doing. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll end with this question. Like, you have your workshop coming up. So, like, what is the impact that you're hoping for that to have? Um, rapid transformation more than anything else. Um, I love workshops. I love taking workshops. I've loved giving workshops in the past. But one of the things that I noticed about workshops was you come and learn all this stuff and then you're sort of thrust back in, out into the world, a baby bird trying to figure out how to fly. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to do in launching my, my workshop for a coaching business is to have time for people to actually work on the stuff that they need to work on while we're there. So it's three full days. The mornings are going to be learning. The afternoons between lunch and dinner is all going to be doing um, with my help in groups so on and so forth. So, you know, if we have, if, you know, it's, it's mostly going to be focused around business, but like say the first day is all going to be fi around figuring out, you know, your ideal clients and your value and all the rest of that. We're going to have time to actually figure that all out together, do worksheets together, have conversations. And sometimes those conversations go into very, very hard places because people realize that their ideal client isn't at all what they thought. Mm -hmm. And then they start panicking because they're like, my business isn't that way. <laughs> And so working through all of that and getting to the right place, but having the time to actually do those things and then have the evenings after dinner for everybody to pitch or show off what they did during that day so they can instantly get immediate critique from a group of people. And so three full days of learning, doing, and reviewing a ton of stuff I think is going to be really, really valuable for a lot of people to leave that and actually have transformed their life and their business. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Okay, one last question. Yeah, okay. Um, so then what would be your definition for success? Um, it is an intensely personal thing for every single person. Um, for me, as long as I have two hours a day to walk my dog and my family is taken care of, I'm successful. I'm not money motivated in that way. Like freedom, freedom over my time or control of my time is definitely my success, but um, like the thing I'm talking about in my, my master class here tomorrow, I did this research project for two years about my questionnaire that I sent out to everybody, the same 20 questions to hundreds of photographers. And one of the questions that I asked on there was, how do you define success? And every answer was so widely different that it wasn't even worth keeping the data for because it was just, there was no correlation. Everybody had a different answer. I mean, there was cer certain tropes where it's like, I want to make sure my family's taken care of or I want to have lots of money or whatever. But the reasons behind those things were always so vastly different. I get oddly proud when I come across a creative from my home province of Alberta. Anyways, music and sound mixing and good vibes provided by Philip Creamer. As always, let me know your